0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Meyer. In 1492, he sailed the ocean blue. Every school child up until about 50 years ago knew that phrase. But ever since then, Columbus has fallen on hard times. Very hard times because of dramatic changes in the viewpoint of history. Today on Viewpoint, we want to find out why Columbus was revered until the 1960s and since the 1960s, has been increasingly denigrated to the point of tearing down his statutes that gave memorial to one of the greatest events in the history of the world. What's going on? How can we understand it? Today, by the end of the program, you will understand it, whether you agree or not. And so I walk you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Myers. Conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms Was Christopher Columbus a perfect man? Absolutely not, and neither are you. That may come as a shock, but neither are you. In fact, your pastor is not a perfect man. Even the most revered of pastors is not a perfect man. George Washington was not a perfect man. And there was only one perfect man who ever lived in his name was Jesus Christ. Christopher Columbus actually had deep affection for Jesus Christ. And that was his premier motivation for sailing. That was his premier motivation. Of course, he had to finance his endeavor. And so there had to be a corresponding effort to raise the resources necessary to do the job. But as you listen to today's program, you're going to discover something that perhaps... You never learned in school. I welcome you to Viewpoint. Again, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and I trust that today will not only be informative, but will be transformative in a significant way. How so? Because Christopher Columbus, in 1492, actually believed That we, that he was going to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. That we were going to be very close to the seventh millennium and the end of all history and the fulfillment of all prophecy would take place. He believed it. And so he set his course based upon that conviction. Did he get off course? Yes. In fact, in becoming off course, in the sense of his calculations, he actually perhaps became on course with God's intentions for his work. Unfortunately, as an imperfect man, some of the things that actually resulted from his intentions As you might understand, the law of unintended consequences took place, and many historians in the past 50, 60 years have seized upon those unintended consequences to attribute them to an intention to destroy indigenous peoples. And for that reason, Columbus Day has been exchanged, well, for Indigenous Peoples Day in many spheres. But then again, there are 11 cities in the world that are named Columbia. And all 11 of them are in the United States of America. Columbia, California. Columbia, Missouri. Columbia, Louisiana. Columbia, Illinois. Columbia, Mississippi. Columbia, Tennessee. Columbia, Kentucky. Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, Maryland. Columbia, Pennsylvania. Columbia, North Carolina. And how about... The District of Columbia, our nation's capital. All based upon the reverence given to the man who in 1492 sailed the ocean blue. He was a navigator, a colonizer, and explored for the Republic of Genoa in northeastern Italy. He initiated the process of Spanish colonization, which foreshadowed general European colonization of the New World, which, by the way, is denigrated among modern historians, many modern historians, with a hyper-liberal viewpoint. And we're going to see why they have that viewpoint. The term pre-Columbian is usually used to refer to the peoples and cultures of the Americas before the arrival of Columbus and his European successors. In other words, Columbus himself established by the absolute amazing importance of what he did in 1492 for the, and for the next few years, established a dividing line in American and World History, known as pre-Columbian. And those are just for the beginning. Throughout his life, Columbus showed a keen interest in the Bible and in biblical prophecies and would often quote biblical texts in his letters and in his personal logs. And toward the end of his life, Columbus produced a book of prophecies. That's what it was called, a book of prophecies, in which his career as an explorer is interpreted in the light of Christian eschatology and of the apocalypse—that is, the unveiling of the end times—today's program, I think, should be enlightening to you. Christian Columbus, uh, uh, Christopher Columbus, had all kinds of trouble finding a crew to venture across the Atlantic because nobody wanted to test that sea of darkness, and f- somehow he scraped together ninety men. Why then the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria finally set out? They passed an erupting volcano. The terrified sailors took the billowing smoke and flames as an evil omen. Columbus uh, calmed their fears and explained the cause of the fire. And after several days, the compass vacillated away from the North Star, and the confused men fell into a panic. What does a captain do when his crew fall into a panic? The winds were blowing day after day to the west, pushing them across the sea. The crew was not happy. What if the winds always blew west? Would their ships be able to sail back to Spain? And then they met thick stretches of seaweed, which the men feared would entangle their rudders. And who knew what monsters lurked in those ocean forests? So... Often, somebody would cry out, land. But it was only low clouds that were hugging the horizon, a mirage at the sea. And finally, the exasperated, angry crew threatened mutiny. There was talk of throwing the admiral into the sea. But Columbus refused to flinch and pressed on. And then came the dawn that raised the new world from the swells. The day was October 12th, 1492. Now, why is it that at the end of the 1800s, a very special day was established and a celebration of Columbus legacy? And how did we move from such a vast celebration to the denigration we face today. This is Viewpoint. There was a time when Columbus Achievement was widely celebrated. In fact, poets and songwriters and statesmen referred to the young United States as Columbia. In fact, there was a song that we sang when I was younger called Columbia, the Gem of the Oceans. What was that referring to? The United States, named after Columbus, Columbia, the Gem of the Oceans the District of Columbia became the Republic's seat of government. Generations of schoolchildren memorize Joaquin Miller's poem, in which the resolute admiral orders his frightened mate to sail on, sail on, and on. But then in recent years, poor Columbus has fallen out of fashion. In fact, is outright denigrated. In some circles... The admiral of the Ocean Sea is treated mainly as the harbinger of a terrible European invasion of the New World. In that version of the story, Columbus' arrival equals conquest and slavery and death, as one popular U.S. historian put it. It is true, no question, that Columbus' legacy contains tragedy, including the enslavement of some American Indians and the spread of diseases that decimated populations, but it's also true that slavery was a pervasive fact of life around the world in Columbus's time, including among the Indians themselves, and also in Africa, and in Europe, and among the Muslims. European explorers could not anticipate the consequences that smallpox and other diseases would have on the New World. They knew little about the cause of disease, so it makes absolutely no sense to indict them for failing to meet modern standards of science and human rights, when Dr. Fauci can't even do that. So, we need to uh, dig a little deeper into why Columbus was both revered and ended up denigrated. Why has his statue been torn down? Across the country. Why is Columbus Day, why has it been renamed as Indigenous Peoples Day? Do we not have any respect for the courage and vision of those who went against everything that uh, humankind could conceive to sail across an ocean that many people thought was flat and to discover a whole new world. If he had not done that, those that are holding him in derogation would not even be here today. They may have been enslaved by the indigenous people or may not even have existed at all. It's so easy to oversee, overlook things like that. Little details, you know. The triumph of Columbus is the voyage itself. The historian Samuel Eliot Morrison, Elliot Morrison, called it the most momentous voyage in modern history. Certainly, it was one of the most daring and imaginative acts in history. In fact, someone pointed out that if the mad, impossible voyage of Columbus is not romantic, there is no such thing as romance. But it appears that that's where Columbus's modern-day problem lies. When educators and historians coming out of the 1960s and the massive rebellion, the sexual revolution, and the massive rebellion against all authority and against all things Western began to take place, the universities and the colleges and then the high schools and junior high schools all took the thrill of the story out of history. And then they reduced it to social studies. Or worse, when they view American history mainly through the prism of the negative little room is left for celebrating a heroic Atlantic crossing. So, today, on Viewpoint, for those of you who are listening... We don't denigrate, but we celebrate. Columbus. An article came out several years ago called The Reconquista, Columbus and the End of the World. It came out by Bill Federer, a friend of this program, who's been on this program, by the way, many, many times over the past 26 years. Columbus wrote, The sign which convinces me that our Lord is hastening the end of the world is the preaching of the gospel recently in so many lands. Why did he say that? Because Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 24, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the whole earth, and then shall the end come. So from Christopher Columbus's viewpoint, not your viewpoint, because we have satellites now, and we can see things that he would never have dreamed seeing. We can see an overview, a bird's eye view. But he could not. And from his perspective, the gospel of the kingdom had well-nigh been preached throughout the then-known world. But how about the world beyond that? How about the world beyond the known world? That's where Columbus was dedicating himself. Though his predictions were off, Columbus revealed his motivation for setting sail on August third, 1492, with those three boats, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, on his first voyage, to find a sea route to India and China. You say, well, I guess he failed. Well, maybe based upon his calculations and his understanding of at that time, he failed. But in reality, could it be that God used his apparent failure to accomplish a glorious success far beyond anything he could ever have imagined? And he could do that for you, too, my friend. So, he was going to take this sea route to India and China as an alternate route alternative to traveling by land through Muslim territories, because Muslims that were then called Moors had invaded Spain in 711 A.D. and a cavalry of 80,000 wielding scimitar swords and went through all places like a desolating storm, he wrote. In a chronicle written in 754 A.D., He recorded thousands of churches were burned and God alone knows the number of the slain by the Mormon, uh, excuse me, by the Muslims. In 1011 AD, Muslims killed 2,000 in Cordoba, Spain. In 1066, Muslims massacred every one of the 5,000 Jews in Granada, Spain. In 1189, Muslims raided Lisbon, Portugal and enslaved 3,000 women and children. In 1191, Muslims attacked Silves, uh, Silves Portugal, enslaving another 3,000. And it took over 700 years to drive the Muslims out in what was called the Reconquest or Reconquista. In 1085, the Kingdom of Castile freed Toledo from the Muslims. And in 1119, the Kingdom of Aragon freed the city of Zaragoza from the Muslims. The Spanish knight Rodrigo Díaz, called El Cid, remember the movie El Cid, drove Muslims out of Valencia in 1094 A.D. Columbus wrote in his El Libro de la Primera Navigación, as recounted by Bartholomew de la Casas, quote, After your highnesses had made an end to the war with the Moors, who ruled in Europe and had concluded the war in the very great city of Granada, I saw the Moorish king come forth to the gates of the city and kiss the royal hands of your highnesses. And soon after that, the same month, I had given your highnesses concerning the lands of India of a prince who is called the uh, Grand Khan, which is to say in our vernacular, King of Kings. Thus, to many people were lost through lapsing into idolatries and receiving doctrines of perdition by that king and your highnesses as Catholic Christians and princes devoted to the holy Christian faith and the propagation thereof and enemies of the sect of Muhammad and of all idolatries and heresies resolved to send me, Christopher Columbus to the said regions of India to sit, see the said princes and peoples undertaking their conversion to our holy faith. And ordained that I should not go by land the usual way to the Orient, but by the route of the Occident, by which no one to this day knows for sure that anyone has ever gone. So then Columbus wrote, I spent seven years in your royal court arguing the case with so many persons, and in the end they concluded that it was all idle nonsense. Yet, he said, the outcome will be the fulfillment of what our Redeemer Jesus Christ said, that all that was written by him and by the prophets would be fulfilled. So Columbus continued writing, and he said, The Holy Scriptures testify that this world will come to an end, and as St. Augustine said, in the seventh millennium following the creation. Columbus ended his writing by saying, I have already said that for the execution of the enterprise of the Indies, neither reason nor mathematics nor world maps were profitable to me. Rather, only the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. You didn't hear about that in school, did you? And you're not hearing about that from the denigrators of Christopher Columbus. Why? We need to understand why. The thing that has continued to fail in our understanding and our conversations these days is the why question. We hear about who and what and where and when. We know all of that. But why? Why was Columbus revered for centuries and then disrevered, denigrated, openly repudiated, and mocked in the last 60 years? There's a reason. So we first ask the question, why did Columbus sail? Columbus said, our Lord has bestowed the marine arts upon me in abundance. For nearly seven years, the socially ambitious, socially awkward Italian had become a fixture at the Spanish court, ceaselessly lobbying for his enterprise of the Indies. He kept on. Why would anybody doggedly spend years getting funding for a death-defying feat? Think about it. Was it for his glory or God's glory? What was his motivation? Columbus wanted to find a trade route in the Orient. Yeah, a lot of people said he would win glory, riches, and title of nobility. Well, that might be true, but it's not complete. In fact, it's so incomplete, it's misleading and dishonest. Columbus saw his voyage in a much greater term. He said, Who can doubt that this fire was not merely mine, but also that of the Holy Spirit, who has encouraged me with a radiance of marvelous illumination from his sacred scriptures, urging me to press forward? Does that sound like a man that's just doing this for his own glory? However, might I suggest to you, as a hint, the reason why Columbus is so denigrated today is precisely because he did want to pursue God's glory and our current educational scene and the spirit of America hates it. Don't want God's glory anymore. Columbus felt that Almighty God had directly brought about his journey. He said, with a hand that could be felt, the Lord opened my mind to the fact that it would be possible, and he opened my will to desire to accomplish that project. The Lord purposed that there should be something miraculous in this matter of the voyage to the Indies. Now, obviously, there were many things he didn't know. And uh, he didn't end up going to India. He didn't get there. But he fulfilled something far greater. He said, God made me the messenger of the new heaven and the new earth, of which he spoke in the Apocalypse of St. John, the book of Revelation after having spoken of it through the mouth of Isaiah, and he showed me the spot where to find it. Wow. Are you listening today? We'll be back. There is
1: so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind.
0: In 1492, he sailed the ocean ocean blue. Did he do it for his glory or for God's glory? Well, let me ask you a question. What you did today, did you do it for God's glory or your glory? When you made that big business deal last week, did you do it for God's glory or your glory? Pastor, when you... Preach that sermon that you felt was so inspired and the people responded, did you preach it for God's glory or your glory? We are such confused human beings. We couldn't see straight if God's des- described a razor beam light straight to the heart of the issue. We still couldn't see straight and refuse to oftentimes But apparently, Christopher Columbus had a clear vision. He believed that God had inspired him, had equipped him for the task more than any other person alive, and had not only equipped him and inspired him, but had given him the word of God itself to set the stage to direct him. Now, Was Christopher Columbus a saint? Well, every true believer is a saint, according to the scripture. But was he truly a religious man? Was he truly serious? Well, let's find out. According to a historian, Delno West, Columbus was visibly and verbally an exceptionally pious man. Throughout his journals and letters, we find him constantly in prayer, invoking the names of Christ and the saints, and solemnly giving praise to God. But Columbus went far beyond conventional practice. His son, Ferdinand, wrote, He, that is his father, Columbus, was so strict in matters of religion that for fasting and saying prayers, he might have been taken for a member of a religious order. He knew his Vulgate Bible thoroughly. Religion was always his first refuge in adversity, writes Columbus scholar Philippe Fernandez-Armesto. In nearly everything he undertook to plan or to accomplish, he would begin with, in the name of the Holy Trinity, I will do this or look to that. He fasted most observantly on all the fast days of the church. He was extremely zealous for the honor and glory of God. With deep longing, he yearned for the evangelization of these peoples and for the planting and flourishing everywhere of people's faith in Christ. Did he have the same viewpoint concerning those peoples that many have today? No. But that, his goal, his heart was. Exactly the heart of Christ. Go and make disciples. In 1501, Columbus wrote, I am only a most unworthy sinner, but ever since I have cried out for grace and mercy from the Lord, they have covered me completely. I have found the most delightful comfort in making it my whole aim in life to enjoy his marvelous presence. Columbus's deep Christian faith still causes academic bewilderment. Now we're going to go into why, if he was so revered and had such godly motivation from the heart, why is he so denigrated today? We're going to begin taking a look at that now. Columbus's deep Christian faith causes academic bewilderment, some... Scholars attribute his recurring encounters with the heavenly voice to mental instability. How many people today are called mentally unstable because they have the temerity to say, I believe that God said this to me and I'm going to do it? Others complain that Columbus's Columbus's biographers claim described him as more religious than he really was. Some protest that Columbus was greedy and obsessively ambitious. I can think of a lot of pastors like that out there today. Maybe you can too. They've even made their way into America's news magazines and the Wall Street Journal, even the front page of the Wall Street Journal, I still remember it today. But why explain away Columbus's intense religious devotion when it was obvious to those who knew him and was persistent throughout all of his writings? So, the Pulitzer uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning biography, Samuel Eliot Morrison, made this statement. There could be no doubt that the faith of Columbus was genuine and sincere. Oh, no doubt that it was genuine and sincere. Now, did they land in India? Did they land in China? No. Columbus and his captains, when they finally uh, saw shore, they unfurled the royal banner of two flags. Each was white with a central bright green cross flanked by a green F or Y for Ferdinand and Isabella. And Columbus declared that these obviously inhabited lands now belong to the Catholic sovereigns. So what land was it? Well, he dubbed it San Salvador. What does San Salvador mean? It means Holy Savior. Why would he have called it Holy Savior if all he was doing was pursuing gold? Now we're going to go and shift over for a few moments to take a look at what the origins are of the assault on Christopher Columbus. They certainly didn't exist when I was in school, grade school, junior high school, high school, and even when I was in college. It began, actually, shortly before I graduated from college. Would you like to know how it began? Well, actually it began with the spirit, the uprising spirit that took place, a highly anti-God, anti-authority spirit that arose in the baby boomer generation in the mid-1960s. That's when the sexual revolution began and is also when the revolution against all authority began just as it did in the French Revolution. America suffered a revolution. But that revolution spread all over the world. The whole Western world. Now, the Western world was made up of Europe and South America and Central America and New Zealand and Australia, Canada, and the US. That, my friends, is the resurrected Roman Empire. Try to try to understand this now. What I have just described is the resurrected Roman Empire described in the Book of Daniel the final great ruling empire of the world, out of which the beast empire, it becomes the beast empire, out of which the counterfeit Christ emerges. Do you think, just thinking rationally now, do you think that that resurrecting Roman empire has any serious interested? Interest in promoting or revering anyone who represents Christ historically or presently, absolutely not. In fact, the entire movement of our world over the past uh, 50 60 years has been in open and notorious conflict with Christ, with the Bible. With biblical law, even with the law of the land, it's war, friends. It is a war against God. Then along came a fellow by the name of Howard Zinn. In 1980, he wrote a book called A People's History of the United States. It sold millions of copies and it became the go-to book for left-wing faculty and students for decades. So he then became the coalescing inspiration behind the attacks on Columbus Day and on Columbus himself, and was one most responsible for replacing Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. But the Indigenous peoples did not know Jesus Christ. They were idolaters. Could it be that God, in his great overarching mercy for the indigenous peoples, raised up a man by the name of Christopher Columbus, who would do something that no one else had the courage to do, to carry his gospel to a new world, so that the peoples in that new world, notwithstanding the fact there were unexpected uh, consequences that came through smallpox and so on, that the peoples of that new world would come to a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why did Columbus dub the place where he landed, San Salvador, Holy Savior. That's why. That's the reason why Mr. Zinn, Howard Zinn, and all those that have followed in his wake to denigrate Mr. Columbus have done so. They despise what he stood for. We'll be back.
1: incredible but the same can be found right now go to save us.org and click sell church we can revive first century christianity for the 21st century it's about people not programs it's about a body not a building that's save us.org click sell church
0: i welcome you back to viewpoint today we're taking a look at uh, how Christopher Columbus went from being a champion to being in chains at the end of his life. Unfortunately, that happened to Jesus too, didn't it? Think about what happens to people, many people, that God has raised up over history to stand courageously for his kingdom. But the people didn't like it. And there were those who rose up, such as in the days of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember him? God used Joseph, took him down into Egypt. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was taken to Potiphar's house, and there he was falsely accused of rape and put in prison again. For 17 years, Joseph was tried. The Bible says the word of the Lord tried him to see if he would stand in the evil day, to see if he would be able to accomplish the incredible job that God had for him to do. So what happened? Eventually, the very calling that God had put on his life became apparent as he was able to interpret two visions to the Pharaoh himself, the Lord of the earth, Pharaoh. And because of that, Pharaoh raised Joseph up to be second in command only to him in all of the land of Egypt. And because of that, Joseph was used to save not only the Egyptians, but also the Israelites who grew and prospered amazingly under Joseph's rulership. But then, as the Bible says, there arose a king or a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Well, my friends, there has arisen the spirit of Pharaoh in this country and all over the world that knows not Columbus and that knows not the Lord. And they are rising up, raising up a hue and a cry to denigrate and destroy all remembrance of those who have courageously stood and have stood head and shoulders above all those who are denigrating their names. That's the reason why the statues have had to come down all over the country, including Richmond, Virginia, the birthplace of the nation where the cross of the covenant was first planted on these shores in 1607. Everyone honorable, regardless of whether they were perfect, looking at Back on them from our perspective today. Everyone that was honorable and Christian oriented had to be destroyed. Their memory had to be removed from America. And that's what's happened. And that's the reason it's happened. Now you might think that I'm a little off base, and so I'm going to share with you in just a moment that Even the Pope agrees. But before we do, for those of you in Massachusetts and Connecticut and New York who have been listening to this program for 26 and a half years, or 20 years, however long you've been listening, my wife and I are coming to you again to hold a very special breakfast on October 23rd That's Saturday morning, October 23rd, from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Crestview Country Club in Agawam, Massachusetts. Many of you have been signing up, but there are only two days left. Today and then two more days. The 13th is your final day for signing up. Final day. You must make your reservation. You must. We have to report those reservations immediately following the 13th. So here's how you do it. You go to our website, saveus.org. Click on Web Store, and then go to the upper right-hand corner where it says Viewpoint Breakfast and sign up. I trust that you'll bring your spouse. I trust that you'll perhaps bring your kids. You would be amazed at how teenagers respond. Some of the greatest response we have ever had in those breakfasts has been from teenagers. Oh, man. So many of them have just been absolutely hungry for somebody to actually come out and tell them the truth. I'll be speaking. My wife will be speaking. We'll be bringing all of our books and materials We're in the process of putting all that together as we speak. So make your decision now. Don't wait. Now, if you don't want to do it via computer, make a phone call. Here's the number. 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. Do it today. Don't delay. Remember, he who hesitates is lost. (laughs) Don't do it. You're... don't want to miss this breakfast. It's a, it's $28, $28 per person. It's a full breakfast buffet. You know, we have to pay for the room as well. So it's not just the breakfast, it's the whole kit and caboodle there. So our theme is going to be Behold, he comes as history and prophecy are converging before our eyes. How do we, as culture enmeshed Christians, prepare for his coming? All right. Now, you want to know what the Pope has to say about this matter of why Christopher Columbus is being denigrated? Well, it was Pope Benedict XVI. He observed that multiculturalism, you know the rise of political correctness, multiculturalism, and religious pluralism? He said multiculturalism has bred not only a contempt for the moral truths that adhere to the Judeo-Christian ethos, but it has led to a peculiar Western self-hatred that is nothing short of pathological. And that's indeed true. Nothing short of pathological. Christopher Columbus saw himself, in fact, his very name meant Christ-bearer. His very name meant Christ-bearer. He saw himself as an evangelistic mission, fulfilling the calling of God. He believed that we were on the near edge of the second coming, that we would be approaching the end of the seventh millennium, and that it was his responsibility to hear the voice of the Lord and to accept that calling no matter what the cost, and to do it faithfully. And it took him seven years just to be able to convince the king and queen to facilitate it and let him go. Columbus wrote, I see that they, that is the, the, uh, indigenous peoples would very quickly believe and become Christians, for he said it seemed to me that they had no religion. Now, <clears throat> Columbus was the advance man for a mighty evangelistic campaign. What he what he really ended up doing. What he really ended up doing was opening the New Worlds, and Unseen Peoples to the Gospel. He carried Christ on his back across a wide river, he said. He would carry the cross across the wide ocean sea to peoples who had never heard the Christian message. In his book of prophecies, he cited various scriptures that validated that mission. For instance, he quoted John chapter 10, verse 16, and said, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He also quoted Isaiah chapter 60, verse 9. For the islands shall wait for me and the ships of the sea in the beginning that I may bring thy sons from afar and their silver and gold with them to the name of the Lord thy God. So in Columbus's mind, the islands were waiting for him and he would bring their sons to the Lord and in the process, bring their silver and gold as well. And as a sign of his work, on every island he explored, Columbus erected a large wooden cross. Do you know what was erected on the shores of the James River, America's River, in 1607, when Captain Christopher Newport sailed up the James River to the place of the falls now called Richmond, Virginia, where this broadcast emanates from? The premier author, Virginius Dabney, writes on the very first page of his History of the City of Richmond, and there they planted a cross. What are you doing for the kingdom? What risks are you willing to take to advance the kingdom of God? What mistakes have you made that perhaps might have caused some people to look at what you did or said and make fun of it or denigrate it? Because it didn't match what they thought you should have said in this generation. Columbus believed that all that was taking place was a sure sign of the end times. He said, for a hundred years, the holy sites of Jerusalem had been held captive by the infidel Muslims. But according to ancient prophecy, that day would soon end, and Columbus believed he would be part of making it happen. How would that happen? Well, he thought the world would end 7,000 years after its creation. By the way, we're very much at that point now, actually at the end of 6,000 years. Columbus thought that uh, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand were God's chosen instruments to recapture Jerusalem and place the Holy City under Christian control. It was part of a central passion that he had, an ultimate goal, the liberation of the Holy Land. Not that he would personally lead armies. No, he would help pay for the expensive crusade. If, as he thought, he could find the lost mines of Solomon, which were known to be in the East, and he could pay for the Holy Land Crusade. His purpose was holy did he engage in any behavior activities that perhaps were not holy certainly from our viewpoint yes how about you do you know of anyone close to you who professes the name of christ that has done anything that you thought was unholy maybe your pastor Are you running around denigrating him? Hmm. Why do we think it necessary to denigrate Columbus? It's because in the Western world, the resurrected Roman Empire, we have decided to resist and hate everyone that stands for godliness and the godly purpose of America and Western Europe. Thanks for joining us here today on Viewpoint. I hope this has been helpful. I hope you become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia 23255. God bless and be a personal blessing wherever you go.